he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay well hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each week well who we cool and queen each week each episode i queen out at all the acting choices micro moments and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name continues to endure as barbara bell gettys and we got a whole bunch of stuff to catch up on today obviously because it's been a while and it's not um, it's not that I haven't been recording, because if you are a or haven't been recording, I haven't been recording episodes of In the Details, but I have been doing a lot of podcasting. Uh, and as I said, if you are a crossover listener from All Right Mary, it is high season over at All Right Mary. We are in the, getting into the throes of season 11 at the moment. We just finished All Stars 4. I mean, it's like, I love all this drag race. I love all this drag on TV, but... At the end of season 11, I think that's going to be like six months straight of every single week. I have, I have you know, recapped and, and uh, torn apart and dissected an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. And what a great thing to have to do every week. But, you know, after a while, you're like, girl, can I watch something else? And I have been trying to watch other things because the reality is I actually have enough time to watch other things. I feel like I always say, oh, I don't have any time because I just have to watch everything for All Right, Mary, because we're right now doing season 11 and Drag Race Thailand. And I'm more than happy to use in the details to also promote Drag Race Thailand. It's so good. If you can't figure out where to watch it, like I'll send you a link. Just um, just send me an email in the details pod at gmail.com. It's an opportunity for me to plug my email address at the top of the show. Um, anyway, I do have time, despite all of these things, to be watching more things and I feel like I, I I finally like went on my Amazon wish uh, you know my Amazon Prime watch list and I was like this is a lovely selection of things that I've placed in a basket that I don't seem to intend on purchasing. Let's start going through this shit. Like let's if you if you wanted to see something then 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 hit play and just see it already. All right, Mary. Uh, so that's kind of uh, the main event for this episode this week. Uh, two movies that were on my Amazon Prime watch list that are accessible through Amazon Prime. Um, one that had also been recommended to me uh, by, or, and had at least in general, had been recommended by a lot of trusted sources around me. And another one that I think a um, very trusted source of mine had talked about at a certain point, and I can't remember now, and I may have to re-listen. So let that be our segue into the first little segment of today's episode, which of course, I, I can't believe I haven't taken any airtime to talk about the fact that it happened, I don't know if it happened. I mean, it happened. It happened. I, I didn't, did I manifest it? It just happened. But, you know, I mean, let's just get into it. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but one of my favorite podcasts in the world, uh, in all of the world, and possibly other worlds that I haven't visited yet, is, of course, Gaylords of Darkness, uh, which I've been queening out about. I started queening out about probably back in October when I was doing all the horror movies, and um, I've been a longtime fan of Stacey Ponders, who's one of the co-hosts. And, of course, the other co-host, Anthony Hudson, 
uh, All Right Mary, we just had a live show in Portland in February, and Anthony joined us for our live episode, and so I got to meet Anthony, and we got to queen out. I got to see Queer Horror, which is their um, monthly, you know, queer horror screening at the Hollywood Theater. I, I mean, I, it was so, it was really cool to kind of go from, um, you know, kind of being just a big fan and a listener and being like, oh man, like these people are so cool. I, I would, I wouldn't it be so fun to do an episode with them where we got to queen out about something together? Because I think we'd be eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And then lo and behold, by a series of fantastic events, that did happen. And so in case you missed it, um, it was a few weeks ago. It was episode 22 on Gaylords of Darkness, which uh, I, I just i am so happy whenever I see the title of the episode. Because the title of the episode is, um, oh, I wrote it down. And now I... Oh, I wrote it down. No, here it is. I wrote it down. So the title of the episode is Moist Hefty Bag Full of Baby Arms with Colin Drucker. And I, like, I, nothing, I, no statement could make me happier. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it makes more sense if you listen, but we queen out about uh, Suspiria, and it was so much fun. It was just, like, they are so great and uh, so funny. And just, like, it was, it was just really, really cool. Uh, and so that all happened, and... I, if you have for some reason not started listening to them yet, I, I let that be your intro episode and then you can just go on and queen out on all their other episodes as well because all of them are mint. Uh, like that guy who told Michelle Visage, your ass is mint. That's, that's the usage there. Um, anyway, so I wanted to just mention that and just give them a shout out and say, I, I don't know if they're listening, but just to say thank you. Like, ugh. So, um, what's next on my little notebook of things? Oh, uh, speaking of trying to see more things, um, and not just say, Ooh, I wish I saw that, or I should have seen that, or I know three things about it. I saw Greta recently, uh, which was the, I mean, I, I, it was sort of, you know, um, fatal attraction meets, um, Harold and Maude. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it was with, uh, Isabel Hoop. Isabel Huppert, is that how you, I mean, she's French, and I'm just a simple sandwich man from New Jersey, so I'm probably not going to say her name right, but uh, Isabel's in it, and then so is Suspiria co-star Chloe Grace Moretz, sort of a vocal warm-up, that name, who I like, and and funnily enough, this the, the gay lords were just talking about this as well, so I promise, once again, I'm not copying everything they do and say, but I know that they were not, like, the biggest—she wasn't their favorite part of Suspiria. Of all the things they love about Suspiria, she was maybe not their favorite part. And I would say that's true as well. I'm not the biggest fan of hers. I saw her in a play a few years ago. It was some, like, play about a school shooting. It was called, like, The Auditorium or something like that or The Cafeteria or, you know, a cafe-gymatorium if it's a Catholic school. I don't know. Um, in any event, the play was fine, and she was not that great. She was just kind of one note. I, I think that she has a lot of interesting qualities and she has an interesting voice and I love a rasp. You know, if if there's a Brenda Vaccaro biopic that Chloe Grace Moretz is trying to get off the ground, I would love to contribute in some way. But um, I, I, she she never really takes off for me or really excites me. I There haven't been, I don't think, any micro moments or nuances of hers that just like sent me akimbo. You know what I mean? Um, and I would say in Greta... That's probably also true. She wasn't bad. I liked her more than I expected to. But I, I mean, I mostly loved her hair. I loved her hair. It was so great. Her hair in, in Greta is, it's just like great hair. If I either had long hair or was a woman or some combination of the two, I would love to have hair like that. But 
Um, there is also a great, I won't ruin it if you haven't seen it, but there is a great moment that involves hair that, 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 that moment, that got me, gal. That was really good. And Isabel H., last name, uh, Isabel Hoopla, she is, I mean, she's just spring-loaded is, is the, the way that I, I feel like I always want to describe her, and I think I've described her to other people. I think she's just spring-loaded. Like, you just, you never know. She's either all of this, like, mounting potential energy or all of this incredible kinetic energy, and um, there's, like, no in-between, you know? And I, I think that she's very fascinating to watch. I think that she makes me a little nervous to watch, and that's not a bad thing. She's kind of great in this movie in that, like, it's not that she's not working. She's clearly working, but I feel like she's so good that maybe this is kind of like Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, where it's like, you're so good that this kind of role, like, you just kind of, like, show up and do your thing, and, like, it just, like, flows out of you. Like, this is just, this is great because you're great, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, Greta, I recommend it. I think, uh, Greta and I had emailed this, uh, about this with Anthony, you know, my new, my new podcast friend, Anthony. Um, but I'd emailed about this with him where I just love all of the Oscar nominated and Oscar winning actresses elevating horror and thrillers right now. You know, I mean, uh, Isabel Hoopla, whatever, however you pronounce it, she was nominated for Ella, L, probably L, it's probably not Ella. It's probably L. Um, E-L-L-E, which uh, I saw. I saw L. It was when I was living in Sacramento, and I saw it. Little side story, little tangent. I saw L on a date, I think. It was one of the few dates I went on in Sacramento, like a formal date, you know, like someone treated me like a lady, you know what I mean? And not like a lady of the night, you know what I'm saying, Mary? And so, <laughs> which is fine. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying I was taken out on a date, but I think this was like a second date. <laughs> I think this guy, I don't remember his name. I remember he was, he was very much my type and was a nice guy, but I think he didn't really compel me. I also think one of the problems was like, we, the first time we hung out, we met at a bar and, you know, just like, had drinks and like, you know, talked and like, it was all fine and fun and whatever. But then as it was getting later and it's kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? You know? Um, and not that it had to go anywhere. It was just like, no, but like literally what are we doing here? Like, I know I'm hungry for food. Like I'm down to eat like that. This can just be like a really traditional first date. I'll go home alone. It's fine. But he was like, he had like chicken that he had taken out of the fridge and that he needed to, um, he needed to use that night or it was going to go bad. And so he's like, yeah, I really just, I don't want to waste it. So like, uh, is that, and I think he even asked, like, is that weird? And of course, like, of course I was like, no, of course not. I totally get it. Waste not, want not girl. Like I just kind of spit out a bunch of like validating bumper stickers. Um, but, uh, then yeah, we parted ways and I like went home and like got really high and was already like really drunk and got really high and ordered, like, terrible Chinese food. Oh, because I think he was like, can we hang out later? And I was like, yeah, just text me when you're done. But then by the time he texted me, I was like, oh, God, I do not feel like going back out. Like, I think once somebody chooses, like, chicken over me, come on, girl. Like, chicken breast and this trim little piece. Like, what? really? You had a choice in the matter. That being said, well, I did pretend to fall asleep that night and not hang out with him um, after his chicken breast was saved from the trash. I did go out on like two more dates with him. And I think the second date was to go see Elle. Uh, so all, all of that was a long way to say um, 
that's where my standards were when I lived in Sacramento. Yeah. So um, anyway, if you're out there, uh, I hope you enjoyed the chicken. So uh, why am I talking about this? Oh, yeah. So she was nominated for Elle. But then, uh, obviously, Tilda Swinton in Suspiria, she won the Best Supporting Actress for Michael Clayton. Coming up, there is Ma with Best Supporting Actress winner Octavia Spencer. Octavia? Oct- Octavia? Ugh. I never know how it's going to sound when it's coming out. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like vomit, you know? Uh, anyway, Octavia Spencer, she's going to be in Ma, which I'm really excited about. That looks wackadoo. Um, then, oh, Lupita Nyong'o, she is in, and I bet I said that one wrong too, um, an equal opportunity mispronouncer, but she is in Us, which I think just came out, and people have been saying, someone said she's like Tony Collette levels of, of good, and I believe that just from the trailer. I was like, yeah, I, I bet you're great in this. And of course, not to be forgotten, not to be forgotten as she's just been parentally forgotten, but Toni Collette was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for The Sixth Sense. Go figure, right? She got nominated for Best Supporting Actress for The Sixth Sense, a movie in which I, I don't think she did profoundly heavy lifting, but I think she did some very nuanced and surprising lifting. I don't like begrudge her nomination because, you know, like... Save that energy for something else, right? Like, leave Tony alone. She didn't get nominated for Hereditary. But, I mean, she was so good in Hereditary that it's so crazy that an actor can work that hard in one movie and not get recognized, except for, like, the Gotham Spirit Award and the Fangoria Awards and some other, you know, Critics' Choice Awards. Um, But then, you know, she can just kind of, like, cry in a traffic jam in The Sixth Sense, and she's, you know, she's she's on the list. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm not mad. Uh, is there somebody else? Um, no, those are yeah, those are the four I wanted to talk about. They're all best supporting actress nominees or winners. Um, I guess the oh 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 the other thing I wanted to mention talking about awards. I don't. I think I was looking up other things Tilda Swinton had been nominated for. You know, because I wanted to make sure I, I got my facts right. I may not know how to pronounce names, but I don't want to get my best supporting actress nominations and wins wrong. I have standards here and in the details, you know. Um, but. Uh, in my research, I found that there is an award show called Movies for Grownups, which is an AARP-sponsored award show. And I I don't know. I've never felt so recognized. <laughs> Not because I'm a grown-up, just because I feel like the movies they're, like, they're highlighting are the ones that are like— I don't know. I'd like to believe that they're high, they're they're like we're looking for nuances. We're looking for acting choices. We're looking for micro moments. You know, um, we're looking for people to speak clearly because we're older and we can't really hear what everyone's saying from all the way in the back of the theater. You know, something like that. I'm into that too. You know, uh, so the I just wanted to mention that there is indeed another award show during the season that is getting long forgotten, and that is of course the AARP Movies for Grownups Award. And I just wanted to mention that this year. Well, she didn't get the Oscar. Glenn did get her her AARP or her what would it be? What would an AARP Oscar be called? I mean, Oscar is such an old man name. I guess it would be called like a Ruth. You know what I mean? Like another old person name. Bring back Ruth. I love that name. Uh, anyway, so Glenn Glenn did get the uh, AARP Best Actress for the wife, uh, and just in terms of Best Supporting Actress this year. Someone who has, you know, is no stranger to Best Supporting Actress nominations and wins and Oscars in general, but uh, pretty much got no press this season. I think uh, that would be Miss Judy Dench. She was nominated. No, she won Best Supporting Actress for All Is True as apparently Mrs. Shakespeare. And I only know that from the AARP website where I read about it. I have never heard of this movie. 
Um, I've heard of Judy Dench, you know, and she was in Shakespeare in Love. I mean, it, it's come on, Judy. Um, one of the other movies I think uh, Richard E. Grant got he won Best Supporting Actor for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and I still haven't seen that. But everyone I've listened to talk about that movie has kind of been like in, in such a huge award season of in such a tight Best Actress Oscar race and even Best Supporting Actor. Like everyone has kind of said, honestly, that was their favorite movie, favorite performances. Like that's been the one I feel like is kind of the real dark horse in the competition and the one that like maybe down the line people look back and go, oh, wow, that movie was like actually way better than people were giving credit for or those performances were way better than people realized because there were such other flashy nominations that year that year being this year i'm just kind of thinking ahead you know i'm just planning ahead uh speaking of planning ahead i want to just give you a preview of, of what's coming up for in the details i i know I've, i i did t- you know kind of take a month off but um it's just been i'm basically doing two podcasts at, you know with all right mary with the patreon podcast and the main stage one so i uh I just had to put my energy towards that and refocus here, but I figured things out. I am keen to get back on track. I want this to be weekly. I love doing in the details. I, it, this is like, you know, this is my baby. So um, not to worry. Cherishing Valerie is coming to a complete, not a completion, not like you're wanting it to be over, but there are more episodes coming. I figured out now there are going to be three more episodes of Cherishing Valerie uh, the the next one is going to be, I think in the schedule, it's going to be next week. The next one is going to be breaking down the infamous desert monologue that I love so much from season two. Um, I just love that scene so much, and I want to dedicate a whole episode to talking about it and talking about who we see emerging from Valerie in that scene, you know? Uh, and then the week following that, if I'm, if I'm remembering, yes, I think the week following that will be, or the episode following that will be finally... Um, I know I teased this like a month ago, but we just had to kind of sync up schedules. But Nick Kachanov and I, Nick from the Squirrel Friends Cocktail Hour and the Very Bad Gay podcast, he's going to be joining, and obviously a previous episode of In the Details, he is going to be joining me again for an Amy Adams appreciation episode and a lot of talk about Junebug, which I love Junebug. I love Amy Adams in that movie. I love, oh, Celia Weston. Oh, she is, she's one of those character actresses who... She's, she's in everything. The first thing I ever noticed her in was In the Bedroom, which is, ugh, I mean, there's another movie that, like, we need to talk about. Like, that whole, you let him get away with everything scene, and she smashes the plate. Oh, I can't even. And the Marissa, when she when she smacks Marissa Tomei, ugh. Okay, okay, one, one episode at a time. So we're going to do an Amy Adams appreciation episode, and then there will be the next part of Cherishing Valerie, or I might do something else in the meantime, because they're, they're a little bit of work, but I really want to... I want to come to a conclusion on them. I'm really excited about them because the episode after that, we're going to be talking about the, um, yeah, it's fine. I can give you this preview. They don't have to be surprises, but we're going to be talking about the parking lot argument between Mark and Valerie. And finally, we're going to be diving into Juna's pre uh, golden globes party and the conversation that Valerie and Juna have there. And, and it's, it's a fascinating conversation because it's all about what isn't being said in between what is being said. And then the last part of Cherishing Valerie is going to be dedicated purely to the most devastating 10 minutes of the comeback. That is the last 10 minutes of the comeback. Now, you may or may not notice, but I'm going to call it out because I am all for being transparent. But the microphone has changed. Uh, the, the date of recording has changed. It's like 
five days later. It was just one of those weeks. I worked from home this week, and I thought, oh, girl, you are going to have so much in the details banked. And I am, like, racing to the finish line with my dress falling off. You know what I mean? Um, I am sewing and running and cutting and crying and just trying to be safe this week. Um, So I appreciate, I don't know, you haven't had to wait all this time. I could have not told you, but I'm not going to be fake. Anyway. So the upside of having had a few days, it gave me a few more things to talk about on this episode because I think there's sort of a running theme of um, uh, troubled teenagers in movies, nuanced troubled teenagers and troubled children. I feel like I've seen a lot of nuanced younger people lately and that I don't say that often I I don't feel like kids have like I don't feel like child actors have a lot of gravitas I think I probably talked about this already you know I think Abigail Breslin in Little Miss Sunshine is great I think uh what's his name Haley Joel Osment obviously in The Sixth Sense I mean he's good uh but a lot of times it's just it's like you you are too young to try to perform that emotion you don't know what you're doing um, but I have, I have, I have to say, I have seen, you know, the, the topic, uh, I guess of this episode, the sort of, you know, clambered together topic is a couple different, uh, troubled children, uh, of varying quality. Uh, let's just start with just a quick, like, I finally watched Child's Play and because I saw a seed of Chucky at Queer Horror when I was in Portland. So I thought, well, let me go back and, you know. Catherine Hicks. Let's see what she's up to. Let's see how she does in Child's Play. She's not bad. She has some campy lines, but she had this one moment. She's this one moment in the movie, you know, spoiler alert, like she shoots Chucky a whole bunch of times and it's towards the end of the movie, obviously. And then she's just like staring at him on the floor and she's just like, you know, it's empty. You know, there's no more bullets. And she just keeps kind of like clicking the, the trigger. And she has this like just dismayed look on her face. And it's this great little acting moment. Um, I don't know. It just stuck with me. It's a great little acting moment she has. Um, but anyway, great in terms of not great acting moments, I have to say the kid uh, who plays her son. Um, oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the character's name because I feel like that's. Um, oh, my God. I have to look it up. I'm blanking. I could just edit this out. But like, what is his name? Um, Andy, Andy, Andy. Ugh, I knew that. Um, but the kid who plays him, Alex Vincent, I mean, I'm not trying to come for a kid. I'm not trying to be mean, but he is insufferably bad in this movie. Is that like an understood thing among fans of Child's Play that like he is, he his line delivery. Chucky's been talking to you too, hasn't he? What's he been saying? All kinds of things. His real name is Charles Lee Ray, and he's been sent down from heaven by daddy to play with me. Anyway, that was a problem. So he was the worst of the bunch. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if these are troubled teens, but this again, this these five days off gave me a chance to finally start watching Pen Fifteen on Hulu. Um, much at the recommendation of um, my podcast girlfriends Nick and Amanda at Girlfriends Cocktail Hour and their respective podcasts. Uh, Amanda loves to hate Teen Mom and uh, the Very Bad Gay podcast, and of course Nick has been a guest. Nick is going to be a future guest. I'd love to have Amanda on as well. Amanda, if you want to come on and talk about Pen Fifteen, whatever. Like I'm all about having more guests. I've got more guests coming, um, but 
they were highly recommending Pen15, and pretty much anything they've recommended on Squirrel Friends Cocktail Hour is good. I like the, Another friend of mine, Angela, anything she's ever recommended to me, she was the one who was like, you just need to watch Project Runway. Trust me on this. And I was like, really? I don't know. It's not my thing. And she was right. Like anything that she's like insisted I watch has been great. And Nick and Amanda are the same way. Anything they totally queen out about. I'm like, yeah, oh, you're right. It was really good. Um, and so Pen15 is no exception. It is um, – it's about these two girls, uh, Anna and Maya, but they're played by women. I assume in their like 30s maybe. Um, I would assume so because they're kind of playing 13-year-olds in, in, in the year 2000. And I was – 13 at that time so it's right on the money for me and so they are playing these you know these two characters Anna and Maya which is their real names um in their first day in their first you know few months of seventh grade and everyone else in the movie is in the movie it's a tv show everyone else in the show is played by actual you know teenagers and there, everyone is really good. I mean, I, I could go on all day, and I'll probably do, because I haven't finished. There's just one season, and I'm like six episodes in, and it's amazing. I'm mostly just talking about this to recommend it. Um, it is so, I mean, it's so nuanced, and there's so many little things that I really want to queen out about it in a full episode. I, I, Nick and Amanda have talked about this, but it's like you, you can't really decide which one you like more, whether it's Anna or Maya. I love them both. I... I think in some ways I'm probably I probably identify with Anna more I think because she has like her parents you know are are having all these like marital problems and she is I I guess like I didn't <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing and I feel like Pen15 has awakened me to this thing that like Anna the way that she like connects with other people's parents and like older people like she just like, she loves to talk to, like, her friend's mom and dad. And she's like, oh, oh my God, I got to talk to you guys all day. You know, like, <laughs> there's this – I don't know. I'm not describing it well. But the point is I've always been like that. I've always loved to talk to older people. I've always loved to, like, talk to someone's mom, you know. And so I also, like, you know, my parents divorced when I was nine. And it was kind of a messy divorce. And I, you know, was very um, cognizant of all of it and had my own – uh, dysfunctions with my dad. And so I, I was like, oh, is that a thing? Is that what like kids with like, <laughs> with like wonky parent parental relationships do? They glom on to other parents. <laughs> and it's like, it's not like my mom wasn't present. I, and I, I think it's like, my parents are no way, in no way like Anna's parents in, in Pen15. But I just think that idea of like, that being a reaction was, was a nuance I appreciated. And uh, yeah, I mean, also, the, like, the, the other kids, like, all their classmates, like, they are, it's very reminiscent of The Office in that you kind of, I feel like if the show continues, and God willing it will, we're going to see so much more of these characters. Because, like, like there's different ones, like this this little shit, Becca, she shows up in, in a bunch of different episodes, and then there's this one kid, I can't remember his name, but he's just, like, he reminds me of, like, Kevin Malone from The Office, um, he, he's just like this weird fat kid with just like great, great delivery. And really, honestly, in so many ways, the side characters in Pen15 are like the side characters in The Office. Like they're, they're these like weirdos that become like these like regular fixtures in the episode and you like get to know them by their quirks. It's, it's great. It is such a good show. And, um, I can't wait to finish the season and then do a proper episode, but like I highly recommend Pen15. 
Now, I feel like a companion piece to Pen15 is Eighth Grade, uh, which is, of course, the Bo Burnham movie from 2018 that, I mean, like also kind of takes place at the same time period and is about a 14-year-old girl in her last year in, in, in eighth grade and graduating from eighth grade. And a lot of the same challenges and kind of a lot of the stories, obviously, if you know about eighth grade, it's basically here is what social anxiety feels like. And Bo Burnham, who, who you know, knows social anxiety uh, and experiences it and, you know, has it, uh, decided instead of telling his story, he would tell it through the lens of this 14-year-old girl, Kayla, uh, played by Elsie Fisher, who it's, she gives, she gives such a, she gets so many nuances of what 14-year-old girls are like, right. Like she gets so many like very specific reactions and very um, specific uh, like micro responses or like micro moments really that I, I just, I mean, I even, I identified with, you know, like I remember feeling that way or, I mean, the, 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 the gold, the gold standard of that movie. And there's a couple of great moments, but I think in terms of like visually, in terms of like a set piece, the whole pool party scene is, is such an accurate representation of anxiety. I it's, and not in like a, we just hit my metal straw. Not in a way that's like unpleasant to watch. Like I, what I tell people is like, this is not welcome to the dollhouse, but it is. Um, it, there are moments where it hits just as as hard, but not as nasty. You know, there's a lot of catharsis in eighth grade. There's a lot of like, it, I just want to give this movie a hug by the end. I would say so. I, I think the pool party scene is great. I also love um, Josh Hamilton plays her father, and it's it's great. I mean, I love nuanced parents in movies. You know, it's like any anytime Diane Weist is playing someone's mother, you're gonna have an interesting mother. You know, and I think that he has a, a similar Josh Hamilton has a similar quality where you're like, oh, you're such a specific person. Like, I feel like I know who you are. You know. And he's very charming in the movie. I, I'm sure I've seen him in other things. He's familiar to me. Whenever I think of Josh Hamilton, I think of Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, starring Josh Dumel, right? I, a movie I've never seen, and I'm never going to talk about on this podcast again, probably. Um, cut to me doing like a minute-by-minute minute podcast of uh, Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. So, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, so... I would have to say Josh Hamilton has kind of the best supporting actress moment in the movie. He has this great monologue by a bonfire. And I think if you haven't seen it, like I'm tempted to play it, but if you haven't seen it, I really think you should see this movie. It's on Amazon Prime. It's probably anywhere you can find, you know, movies. Uh, you know, movies, you know, those that, that thing. Um, it's great. It just, like... It's so, and like Elsie Fisher is great and she, oh my God. Oh, okay. I don't want to ruin it, especially if you haven't seen it, but if you have the car scene, there's that one moment. Okay. I have to say it and then you'll see it and you'll know, but the whole, when, when she says, no, sorry. Ugh, ugh, ugh. That was when I was like, okay, okay. This, this is this is so good. Like, if, if nothing else happens in this movie but that one moment, this is telling some truth. That The poetry of the no sorry was – and so expertly performed. I mean, there's just so many things that Elsie Fisher is doing in this movie that you think, like, how did anyone direct this, you know? And, and maybe she's just really good, you know? I think I read a quote from her on IMDb where she's like, yeah, it's really fun because I'm good at it. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> go off, sis, you know, like, good for you. 
Um, it's and, oh, and the other thing I want to say is the soundtrack, and I want to make sure I give credit because the soundtrack is by this woman, Anna. Oh, I'm gonna get it. I'm come on, come on YouTube, come on Google. Anna Sullivan, not Ann Sullivan. Nope, uh, that would be weird. She probably wouldn't be doing the soundtrack. She uh, she's also dead. Um, no, this is not Ann Sullivan. Uh, Helen Keller's infamous teacher, and Anna Meredith. Anna Meredith. This soundtrack, I could play a little of this for you right now. The, the like the opening music when that started, I was like, you remember? Oh God, what was it? The, oh, the old ad for like Dolby surround sound, and the guy in the chair, and like the 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 you know music starts, and it just like blasts them back in the chair. That was how I felt. When the music started in eighth grade, it was like the same feeling when this started. I mean, to say nothing, obviously, I mean, I think, like, the other real star of the soundtrack is the expert use of Orinoco Flow by Enya. Enya. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that she got a moment where, where no one was making fun of her. You know what I mean? We always make fun of Enya, but, like, deep down... We all fucking love Enya. Enya is the is the porn of the music world. Nobody wants to admit it, but we all listen to Enya at some point, you know? So <laughs> sail away. Uh anyway. Eighth grade. So that's that. The last thing I want to talk about, and I'm, I think I'm maybe, I did I mention this earlier? I don't know that I think the Gaylords of Darkness talked about this on an episode, but I finally watched the 1977 TV movie, The Spell, which is a bit, they, people call it a carry ripoff, but, and I kind of went in thinking that's what it was. And then by the end, I was like, mm, I see the connection, certainly. You know, there's a gym teacher, there's a mother, there's a, you know, disturbed teenage girl, there's, telekinesis okay i get it yeah it's kind of like carrie but it, it it doesn't really feel that way um it, there's no prom scene you know but i like first of all okay so the the idea is it's about this like every description is overweight teenage girl rita and it's like yeah she's a she's a thicker gal but she's not like she doesn't need help out of a chair or anything you know what i mean like i, I don't know i just think that it would be interesting, I think, like, I, I'd like to see the spell remade with, like, Gabourey Sidibe, you know, or somebody, like, that size. I, I don't—not to, like, fetishize that, but I just think that there's something about—I um, don't know. There's something about that that would be interesting as, like, that kind of outcast. I think 
that sort of like lonely fat sitting by yourself in the cafeteria, sweaty summer day kind of outcast. I think that's, there's a specific pain to that, that I'm not making fun of that. I really think would be interesting as a protagonist or as a anti-hero in this kind of story. I, I think that, obviously it's a 70s TV movie, but I think that um, Rita's kind of outcast qualities are, <clears throat> she could overcome them. She has kind of a, the, the actress who plays her, Susan Myers, who doesn't have much of a career. I don't know why. She's fantastic in this movie. She has such great line delivery and some really profound moments. I, I What I really appreciated about the spell is that Rita was, you know, this, this, this you know, overweight bullied high school girl who's discovering that she has this this gift this power of telekinesis and it turns out that her gym teacher is kind of like this local witch who's who's kind of become her you know uh, taking her under her 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 wing so to speak under her spell and uh rita is of course using her powers to get back at the girls who were bullying her in gym class and to get back at her little sister played by helen hunt Who's fine? I mean, Helen Hunt, Best Supporting Actress nominee and Best Actress winner. I she, I, and I almost want to look this up, but I'm pretty sure she won Best Actress for as good as it gets, right? Okay, we're gonna look that up as I vamp, um, as it gets Helen Hunt Oscar, because I, you know we should talk about this. Yes, she did, and so did Jack Nicholson. Oh, can I just can I just tangent away from the spell for like a hot second? It is related because Helen Hunt is in it. I hate As Good As It Gets, and I used to love As Good As It Gets. I used to think that movie was so fucking funny. I used to think I wanted to write stories that had that kind of, like, meandering feel of following interesting characters and quirky situations. But, like, the only thing I like about As Good As It Gets is I like Yardley Smith, and I like um, Shirley Jones. Is that what it is, Shirley? Shirley, I always confuse which Shirley's in that. We're going to look it up right now. Shirley. Shirley Knight. Shirley Knight. Um, Shirley Knight as Helen Hunt's mother is great in it. And there's that, that moment where, uh, Helen Hunt, Helen Hunt is okay, but she has this like terrible Brooklyn accent that I can't get over. And if she dropped it, she'd be great in this movie. But she has that moment where she's crying and she's like with her mother and she's like, what do you want? Just tell me, what do you want? And then her mother's like, I want to go out. And then Helen Hunt, I got to give it to her. She probably got the Oscar for this moment, but she has this like pause and this like perfectly timed Okay, and it's so great. Ah, anyway, so anyway, otherwise I hate that movie. But so Helen Hunt is, you know, she plays the younger sister, and she's very plucky, and um, you know, she, she, yeah, it's fun to see her. Uh, and then of course there is Rita's mother, Lee Grant, played by Lee Grant. It's not actually her mother. Lee Grant is probably too good for this movie. Lee Grant is a Best Supporting Actress winner for Shampoo, which I have to see. I need to get on that because I love Lee Grant. She is in—eventually we're going to have the Airport 77 episode. She is so great in that. She's very Elizabeth Taylor in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in that. And then uh, Christopher Lee is kind of doing the the Richard Burton George role. Um, But, of course, Airport 77 also has Brenda Vaccaro in it. She—I mean— and there's a moment they have together. I mean, it's kind of like, what was that movie, Heat, with, like, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, and they finally had a scene together? My version of that is Airport 77 with Lee Grant and Brenda Vaccaro. Um, I think if Beatrice Strait was in that movie, I would probably never get out of bed, you know? Um, so eventually, we'll talk about that. Um, 
So there's a couple moments from this spell that I want to highlight. This is also on Amazon Prime, and you can find it on YouTube. But there's there's some really profound moments, uh, especially from Susan Myers, of the I don't know. She has sort of the the inner pain that she has like comparing that to what we see in eighth grade and even what we see in pen 15 i think the the outcast that rita is and the way that she expresses herself there's two moments that really stuck with me um one of them is this one here that's really more of just like it, it's kind of when you realize ooh, this is she's she's got this like she she's a witch you know what i mean and and it's it's just beautiful delivery and kind of scary in a way. So I got to give some a moment of appreciation of that right now. You don't care too much for me, do you? How dare you say that to me, Rita? I love you, you know. No, I am not sure I do know that. You're the only one I do love. Nobody, just you. you too. Sometimes you make it very hard. We all do. Don't give me that we stuff. I don't love my father any more than he loves me and Christina could die for all I care. Really? Christina is a simpering little toad. She traps you with all her looks. Underneath she's weak and stupid, unworthy and useless. Stop it. You gave me life. You cared for me when I was sick. You held me when I cried. You fed me when I was hungry. Those things are not forgotten. Nothing is forgotten. Nothing is forgotten. Each deed is written and filed, and when I must, I draw upon those deeds and act upon I reproach myself for nothing. Each deed is written and filed, and when I must. Stop it! And then there's this moment later when, um, you know, Rita's Rita's gym teacher, witch friend, is kind of revealing that, like, hey, you're not alone here. Like, you, you're you a part of a community with this power. And, of course, like, you know, as a gay, I'm like, ooh, I'm loving this queer story, you know, is, is that she's discovering her power and that there's going to be other people just like her. And I don't know, you know, I, I think eighth grade and pen 15, they both kind of emphasize like the importance of finding your tribe and finding other people like you and then in the spell Rita just completely rejects that and it's really profound in a way soon we'll have a whole community of special people. A community of well, do you think it starts with us but I'll be right back where I was what do you mean well everybody will be the same I won't be different or special you are special it's mine I don't want to share it Real power is in the sharing. No. Rita, trust me. No, for the first time in my life, I have enjoyed being different. If it's given to others, I won't be different. My dear, you will be with people who will appreciate. I don't want to be with people! And the movie, I mean, it's not a blockbuster, but the, there's a showdown at the end between Lee Grant and Susan Myers that I love. And there's some moment where Lee Grant basically says, like, if uh, if anything happens to your sister or your father, I will destroy you. And, oh, I'll just play it here. Hold on. If anything happens to your father or to your sister or to anyone else, what? 
What will you do? I will destroy you. I mean, it's just so fucking badass. So I, I don't know. I think the spell is worth watching. I think it's surprising. Um, and if you're a fan of Carrie, it's like, you know, more of that stuff. Anyway, I think that's everything for this week. I think I've covered enough. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on anything, really. I just like hearing from you folks. So you can drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at Colin Drucker. Uh, you can leave me a review on iTunes. Thank you to everyone who's left, like, the nicest reviews. Oh, my God. You guys are... I, I'm gooped. I'm gooped. Um, and otherwise, I will be back uh, very soon with with more. With more in the details. I'm not going to make any promises, but I'm going to make something happen. Uh, so that's all I got for you, and I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye.